Hi, I'm Arun George and you're listening to 3 Things, the Indian Express news show. In today's episode, we're looking at the challenges facing India's biggest metro rail network as it reopens after over 6 months. We're also looking at a first possible case of COVID-19 reinfection in Bangalore. But first, we're looking at the outcome of talks between India and China's defense ministers at the Shanghai Cooperation Organization meeting in Russia. India's Defense Minister Rajnath Singh was in Russia for a meeting of the defense ministers of the nations that are part of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. The meeting in Russia was being held days after Indian troops occupied strategic heights on the southern bank of the Pangongso Lake and Rechinla in Ladakh. At the Shanghai Cooperation Organization meeting, India's defense minister spoke about how the region demands a climate of trust and cooperation, non-aggression, respect for international rules and norms, sensitivity to each other's interests, and peaceful resolution of differences. A day later, Singh met with his Chinese counterpart General Wei Fenghe for nearly 2 hours and 20 minutes on the sidelines of the summit for further talks on resolving the border dispute. This meeting comes even as brigadier level officers from both armies have been engaged in talks over the situation over India's move at the Pangongso and Rechinla. We're now talking with Krishan Kaushik who writes on defense for the Indian Express about what were the outcomes of the meeting, what it means for the situation on the ground and the way ahead. Since mid July, there have been talks at various levels, seven talks at the core commander level, deep commander level, uh, diplomatic talks. This is the first time when the defense ministers of both the countries have met. but from what the statements that both countries have issued it does not seem like the talks have made any headway at all because even right now both countries seem to be talking at each other than to each other which is a problem so which will not lead to any resolution of standoff which is now at least more than 4 months old now that's the problem because once you have met at the defense minister level and the foreign ministers are, are scheduled to meet likely next week there's very little room for more talks because even if at such a high level talks do not yield to any result or positive result there's little to suggest that a further meeting between diff commanders or core commanders or the diplomats would lead to anything else as well the statements from the two sides showed what krishan says about the two nations talking to each other in its statement on the meeting china said that the cause and truth of the current tension on the border between china and india are very clear and the responsibility lies entirely with india China also said that its territory cannot be lost. In its statement China said that its defense minister had told his Indian counterpart that the Chinese military is fully determined, capable and confident to safeguard national sovereignty and territorial integrity. Rajnath Singh's statement was similar. India said that Rajnath Singh had told his Chinese counterpart that the actions of the Chinese troops were in violation of the bilateral agreements between the two nations and weren't in keeping with the understandings reached between the special representatives of the two nations. Singh also stated clearly that while the Indian troops had always taken a responsible approach towards border management at the same time there should be no doubt about our determination to protect India's sovereignty and territorial integrity Krishan explains that this isn't even the first time that China has sought a meeting with India's defense minister to try and resolve the border issue but this is the first such meeting to take place since the border dispute started This is the third time our sources have told us that China Chinese defense ministry has sought a meeting with our defense minister Rajnath Singh. The first time was when uh, Rajnath Singh was in Moscow in end of June to attend the 75th anniversary of the Victory Day parade where China was also there. This time as well Rajnath Singh has gone for the meeting of the defense minister of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization in which both China and Pakistan are also member states. This is the third time that they have asked for a meeting 
in the last 80 days or so and it seems india did agree to meet because now india is in a more advantageous position compared to where it was earlier because of the new heights that we are occupied in uh, south bank of pangong and the shu sector we are dominating that area which is a concern for china and now india understand that it has a bargaining chip compared to what we had none earlier so that's why possibly india has agreed to meet at this time the bargaining chip that krishan referred to is the move made by india along the southern bank of the pangong so lake it is not entirely understandable at the moment whether we have an advantage over china overall but what we are sure of right now is that now we are in a more advantageous position than where we were at least 10 days back earlier china was dominating us in at least three points which is debsang kings in the north petroling point 17 alpha near gogra sector and this pangongsho north bank last weekend during the intervening night of august 29 and august 30 india rushed previously unoccupied peaks in the south bank of pangongsho and in the larger tushu sector what india has advantage now is that this sector where india has now occupied certain heights it gives a very deep view of the entire spangur gap which is a valley with 2 km wide which can be and has been used in the 1962 war by china to launch an offensive against india there are very few areas in eastern ladakh that offer a plains of or flat surface from where let's say tanks can come in so that's why this area is very strategically important which is also why india has uh, usually had a strong presence in this region with this view that india has now it can dominate the entire spangur spangur gap which is also called a tushul approach and the moldo garrison of china so by doing that india is definitely in a more dominating position compared to china in this sector However despite the reports and statements by China that it wouldn't give up any territory to India Krishan says that the Indian army has actually not crossed the line of actual control India is saying we are along the LSE but uh, in the north bank China is at least 8 kilometers west of where India says the LSE is so while China is definitely in Indian territory India till now has maintained that it has not crossed the LSE we might have a tactical or even a strategic advantage in the southern bank but we are not on their side compared to what china is before the two defense ministers met there were multiple talks between officers of the two armies after indian troops took positions along the southern bank of pangong so what was achieved in these meetings absolutely nothing there is still no positive result there is still no sign of even disengagement and disengagement is the first step and the final step will have to be deescalation deescalation means where the forces that are in the depth areas in the eastern ladakh region that's not on the lsc which is like behind the lsc like tanks artillery guns howitzers uh, they are facing each other a few kilometers apart that's what the major concern is because deescalation is just about stepping back from a friction point so that you don't get not involved in a hand to hand combat like what happened on june 15 in garban valley deescalation is about trying to reduce the force level so that the threat of a war does not keep looming so at the moment these talks whether it was at the level of the brigade commanders in the chushul area or at the level of the defense ministers in moscow have not yielded anything because there is no easing of the situation on the lse the situation on the lse is still extremely tense india and china have now had talks between defense ministers and military officials but there have been no tangible results when it comes to deescalation when it comes to defense ministers unlike rajnath singh in india his counterpart in china doesn't wield as much influence in the government 
general we fenge is not as uh, high up in the hierarchy in china as our defense minister rajnath singh is rajnath singh is the de facto number 2 in the government while uh, the chinese defense minister is not that high up but because these are bilateral talks defense ministers speak to defense ministers they don't speak to let's say the prime minister of the or the president of the other country so the talks if they were to happen at this level would happen between these two leaders but of course the chinese defense minister cannot take certain calls which possibly rajnath singh can so despite multiple levels of talk so far there's been no headway and krishan explains what it may take to break the standoff see the negotiations have been stuck since mid july uh, because of china's obstinate stand china says any disengagement that has to happen has to happen mutually which means both sides should step back by an equal distance which india says is slightly unfair because of multiple factors first is because india says that china has better infrastructure on its side it also has an easier terrain compared to india so for china to reach the same point from an equal distance takes a shorter time second india says that india is already on its own side of the lse it's the chinese who had crossed the lse and come over to the indian side so it does not make sense for india to step back any further and they will have to leave the traditional posts if they do that so there is not much that can be expected with whether at the level of foreign ministers at the level of special representatives at the level of defense ministers the thing to understand is even though it's a military standoff actually it's a political standoff with a military expression it's a political establishment that has to decide what the military will do so if the militaries are stuck in a statement at the moment it's because the politicians on both sides which is the top leaders whether it's uh, xi jinping over there or prime minister modi over here they have of course not spoken yet and unless they can reach a resolution possibly there's very little likelihood that anything can be resolved the indian prime minister and chinese premier have met for talks on separate occasions in the past but haven't spoken to each other since the standoff began along the border in the case of china krishan says that the chinese army seems to have sanctioned from the highest levels of power so unless the uh, chinese leadership political leadership is xi jinping decides okay we need to resolve this there's very little room for defense ministers or military leadership or diplomatic leadership to resolve this because again it is not a decision taken by the defense minister of china or the defense minister of india it is a standoff between the two countries which is actually political so the political leadership has to finally find a resolution to this but as winter creeps closer both the indian and chinese armies have to consider keeping troops closer to the border than they would have in the past in the peak winter months the temperature in the region goes below minus 20 degrees celsius and is one of the most hostile terrains so what are the challenges for india as the standoff continues the challenges are actually equal on both sides however it will cost india more because india is a smaller economy india is anyhow very very pressed financially at the moment compared to china additional deployment of troops in such a sector it costs a lot so from what we understand from what previous military leadership and from that area has told us it can cost up, up to about 10 lakhs per soldier to keep them during one winter session in such an altitude in such an area because the cost of just taking the equipment there is extremely high so it will be very very tough uh, but as again military leaders say that's the cost of war if the country is heading towards a war that's the cost it has to pay but it will be very very troublesome and with the additional deployment it will be a, a huge huge extra cost for the military for the defense establishment and india which is so pressed for finances already because of the pandemic and the downside in the economy and the lockdowns will have to find new ways to basically support this additional deployment which was not there earlier before we get to the next segment i just wanted your quick attention 
One of the big reasons people say that they like this show is because it helps them understand the news better. It provides them with the context they need to see the bigger picture. And there's perhaps no other place that does this better than the Indian Express's explained section. We on three things refer to the section regularly and it helps us make this show. If you're a regular reader of the newspaper, you know how useful the explained section can be, especially when you're looking for in-depth analysis by the right experts. You can log into indianexpress.com/explained and access their coverage 24/7. Explained by the Indian Express, when news that matters is explained by experts who know the subject. Now, back to the show. Metro railways across the country came to a halt since the national lockdown was imposed on the 24th of March. But as per the latest set of norms that was issued last week by the government, they said to reopen on the 7th of September across India. Of the metro lines in the country, the biggest network is in the national capital Delhi, and all lines of this public transport system will be gradually started over the next 5 days. The first two lines will become operational from the 7th of September, and initially trains will be operated only for 4 hours in the morning and 4 hours in the evening. But what are the challenges for metro services and what can commuters expect to find when they go to stations? We're now speaking with Saurav Rebowman who has been reporting extensively on the reopening of metro lines in Delhi. Saurav, could you start by talking about how the shutdown has affected the Delhi metro? So shutdown has affected metro mostly financially because metro used to earn an average of rupees 10 crore daily only from ticket sales. That has completely stopped since March 22. so a rough calculation will basically give you a figure of something around rupees 1500 crore and uh, upwards of rupees 1500 crore the amount that metro has lost ever since the lockdown was imposed and it had to keep its operations shut now that has started manifesting itself the financial loss recently they announced a pay cut for their employees all their employees and they also reached out to the union government saying we are not in a position to pay Uh, installment to the Japan International Cooperation Agency this year. So Metro has taken a huge loan from Japan International Cooperation Agency to meet its construction expenditure over the years. So every year they pay a certain amount back. Now this time they have written to the state center saying if that payment can be deferred, keeping in view the losses. Okay, so then what are the biggest challenges for the metro now, which is a mass transit public transport? And you know, how does the Delhi Metro, which has easily the biggest metro network in the country, how have they been preparing for this reopening? I think it it will mainly be you know bringing back commuters. Metro used to carry something around twenty seven lakh to thirty lakh commuters every day across its corridors. Now, under the shadow of a pandemic, how many people will be willing to come back to public transport? Now, metro will have to strike a challenge between that and also ensuring social distancing among passengers. So they will have to strike that very delicate balance between bringing commuters back while also ensuring their safety. And how have they been preparing for this reopening? Has there been anything specific that they've been doing? So technically, they haven't shut down their operation completely. So what they did, they ran two sets of trains each uh, in the morning and evening every day. they have been doing this over the last few months just to keep everything operation ready otherwise there is a possibility of technical glitches once you know if you keep your system completely shut for that amount of time it may lead to major glitches if you abruptly or uh, all of a sudden if you start operations so they have tried doing that they have also undertaken a major uh, cleaning exercise of their heating air ventilation systems inside trains and coaches 
So these are the things they have been doing. The trains, their maintenance engineers, they have attended to the trains in the depots regularly. So you've reported about how the metro will be a much warmer place. The coaches will be much warmer due to the new changes that are being made. Could you elaborate on why and how that's being done? So that is mainly because uh, you will have to increase airflow inside stations as well as coaches. So metro coaches are all air conditioned. And uh, we all know there is a possibility of viral particles building up rapidly inside enclosed spaces. So that risk is always there. So what Metro has done is it has brought subtle changes in the way the heating and ventilation and air conditioning system works. So once services restart tomorrow, the inlets through which you know fresh air is infused into the coaches, it will actually draw in more fresh air as much as possible. And instead of recycling the same air and pushing air through you know, cooling systems, and at every terminal station, trains will halt for longer duration with all the doors open just to let in you know, more fresh air inside the coaches. Just to avoid a buildup of particles. Because obviously once you have 500, 600 people traveling inside a train, they will cough, they will sneeze. So that risk is always there. So which is why they will be focusing more on ensuring proper flow of fresh air instead of cooling. Another aspect about the metro is the fact that it's a mass transit, which means that, you know, it, it's meant for, in a sense, to be crowded. And now you're going to have to go in the opposite direction where you're going to have to tell people that fewer people are allowed in a coach. So how are they planning to ensure things like social distancing at stations and even inside a coach? That is going to be another challenge, obviously, because metro, I mean, they are designed to carry passengers in large volume. Now you have a situation where you cannot allow that. So they have pasted stickers in the seats. So you'll have to leave every alternate seat vacant. People who will be traveling standing, they will have to maintain a distance of one meter among themselves. So say an eight-coach train, which can carry up to, say, 2,200 or 2,400 commuters, it will carry barely 500, 600 passengers. And even inside stations, uh, they have pasted stickers, bright stickers in the flooring, as well as uh, in the elevators, lifts, and they will have continuous announcements over the public announcement system just to just to ensure that you know people don't mingle among themselves. You also have things like security protocols and payments. So what changes are being made to ensure that people don't end up, say, queuing up for security checkups or even to get, say, their cards or tokens and things like that? So once services restart tomorrow, you will have to carry your smart card if you want to travel in the metro. So tokens will not be allowed. Cash transactions will not be allowed. And tokens are being completely discontinued. And even if you want to top up your card, you will have to use your credit card or debit card or maybe go for one of those uh, e-wallets, ATM or Google Pay. So cash transactions are completely have been discontinued for the time being. They have also launched another smart card. They're calling it AutoPay. So now AutoPay, that card can be linked with your bank account also. If you are using that card, you won't have to uh, go to the customer care to recharge your card. It will be automatically recharged every time you swipe it while entering you know, the station premises because the cards will be linked to your bank accounts. So it's a lot like the fast tag that cars are using currently on highways where you... Yeah, a lot like that. Yeah. Okay. 
uh, isn't there a worry that things like completely eliminating cash and things that will in effect put off a lot of passengers who are not used to these modes of uh, payment yeah yeah we we did ask this question to the metro authorities as well because you cannot expect everyone to uh, use credit cards or debit cards or google pay so what happens to those who will be coming to stations using cash or carrying cash so the metro for now maintains that passengers will be asked to go back but i have a feeling it won't be strictly implemented you will not be asked to exit the station just for not carrying a credit card or debit card but i think uh, you'll be given a warning of sort because uh, metro has been tweeting metro has been uh, going to the press and uh, trying to put it out over the last few days so you are supposed to know that you are not supposed to carry cash i, I don't think they will be asked to return but uh, they will be left after maybe a brief admonition and in terms of security protocol again um, how does something like that were given a uh, security personnel is expected to kind of be much closer to you than people would be otherwise so they will be keeping limited number of gates open just to ensure that everyone queue up properly and everyone actually undergoes proper thermal screening and also use hand sanitizers they will have automatic hand sanitizer machines and automatic thermal screeners at certain stations and at most stations you will have cisf jawans carrying thermal guns they will check your temperature and they will frisk you from a distance in the sense they carry metal detectors now the metal detectors will be attached to long sticks so they will frisk you from a distance so they won't be standing very far from a passenger who is being frisked but they will maintain a safe distance there will also be a spraying of disinfectants uh, in your baggage so metro has already filled to people not to carry metallic items as far as possible and to carry light baggage okay but baggage will be allowed it's just that it has to be much less and it will be disinfected at yeah they will spray i think they will spray sodium hypochlorite solution they will spray bleach essentially small amounts of it but as far as possible if possible uh, people have been asked not to carry metallic items and also you know the big challenge will also be at these interchange stations in delhi where you've got even thousands moving lines every day um what are the changes expected at these places and how do you curb say people gathering or crowds over there so as i said the uh, limited number of gates will be open for example you have eight entry and exit gates in rajiv chowk station which is an interchange station from tomorrow at rajiv chowk only one gate will be open so people will queue up accordingly and once you have a lot of people inside the station and metro authorities think maintaining social distancing would not be possible anymore if they allow more people in so they will regulate the entry of people so they will essentially shut the entry gates until the crowd thins out and there will be regular monitoring of the station premises as well as train coaches over cctv and there will be public announcements also a lot of it will also depend on how people behave inside the metro system it also depends on self awareness more than anything else there are provisions for fines also under the metro operations and maintenance act for people not wearing masks or people not maintaining distance among themselves or spitting and does delhi metro have any kind of projection for the expected amount of ridership or are they kind of going in blind at this point so currently they are not bothered about ridership actually even the dmrc md has publicly stated for them the biggest challenge would be to ensure safe travel safe commute for passengers using the metro 
so they don't have any projections as of now and in terms of things like arogya setu and all do you need anything other than say a mask on you so in may the union ministry of for housing and urban affairs had prepared a one sop for all metro operators across the country bombay delhi calcutta bangalore jaipur kochi now in that sop ministry had suggested that arogya setu app should be made mandatory for people entering metro but the final sop which was released recently so that one essentially encourages people to download the app so you are not supposed to use it it is not mandatory you cannot be debarred from entering the station but i think you'll be gently prodded to download it you'll be encouraged basically to use it a private hospital in bengaluru reported what might be the first recorded case of reinfection of covid-19 in the city The hospital cited the case of a 27-year-old woman who had contracted the virus, recovered, and may have caught the virus again in the span of a month. The case was reported in Bengaluru, even as India reported over 90,000 fresh cases of COVID-19 and over a thousand deaths in a 24-hour period. The Bengaluru hospital's doctors claimed that the woman had tested positive for COVID-19 in July and had mild symptoms of fever and cough. After she recovered and tested negative for the virus, she was discharged from the hospital. When the woman developed mild symptoms in August, she tested positive for the coronavirus again. A doctor at the Bengaluru hospital said that she had tested negative for antibodies that can fight the virus, which could mean that the antibodies that fight the virus were in her body but ceased to exist after a month. However, other experts cautioned that it's still too early to consider this a case of reinfection and further study is needed. So far, only a few cases of reinfection have been reported across the world and one case has been confirmed in Hong Kong. We discussed the ramifications of COVID-19 reinfection in a previous episode and the link is provided in the description of today's episode. You were listening to The Three Things by The Indian Express. Today's show was written and produced by me, Arun George. And as always, was edited and mixed by our producer, Joshua Thomas. Before we go, here's another reminder to check out Indian Express's Explained page. You can log on to indianexpress.com forward slash explained and find in-depth analysis by the right experts. It has everything you need to know to understand the news better and see the bigger picture. If you like the show, then do subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also recommend the show to someone you think will like it. Share it with a friend or someone in your family. It's the best way for people to get to know about us. You can also tweet us at Express Audio and write to us at podcast at indianexpress.com.